Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This podcast is sponsored by Talkspace. May is Mental Health Awareness Month, and Talkspace, the leading virtual therapy provider, is encouraging people to talk it out in therapy. By talking or texting with a supportive, licensed therapist at Talkspace, you'll gain insights, discover truths, and experience breakthroughs that will improve how you live and how you feel. With Talkspace, just answer a few questions online, and you'll be matched with a therapist. And because you'll meet your therapist online, you don't have to take time off work or arrange childcare. You'll meet on your schedule, whenever you feel most at ease. Plus, Talkspace works with most major insurers, and most insured members only pay a $25 copay or less. No insurance? No problem. If you want to make progress toward a mentally healthier place, Talkspace is here for you. Now get $80 off your first month with promo code SPACE80 when you go to Talkspace.com. Match with a licensed therapist today at Talkspace.com. Save $80 with code SPACE80 at Talkspace.com. Hello and welcome to Enlightened Empaths, your community for the spiritually awakened, where we discuss, explore, and connect with fellow empaths, healers, intuitives, and seekers. Hello, empaths. Welcome to the show. We are so excited to speak with our very, very special guest today. Laura Day is an intuitive and best-selling author who we've been reading and learning from since the late 1990s. Her intelligent, practical approach to intuition has helped demystify intuition and demonstrate its practical, verifiable uses in the fields of business, science, medicine, and personal growth. For the past three decades, Laura has trained thousands of people to learn how to embrace their innate intuitive abilities to help us learn how to rely on our intuition to create profound, positive changes in our lives. Welcome to the show, Laura. We're so happy to have you with us today. Thank you for having me. This is going to be exciting. You know, I want to start by talking a little bit about your background. I'm pretty confident all of our listeners are familiar with you and your work, but as we were saying before we started to record, you were one of the first people to publish a best-selling book on intuition back in 1997, and you come from a family of doctors. So I wonder, what was it like for you coming out of the psychic closet? So I, I you know, the, the funny thing is that I didn't think I was coming out of the psychic closet uh, when I began. I began as a test subject for university and military programs on extrasensory perception. So I began through science, through people my father's age who were working with me and interested in what I do. Of course, with when I when I wrote a book, which was many years later, I mean, I guess it was more than 10 years after I first, so to speak, came out of the closet. Um, I made my father swear on the PDR, the physician's de desk reference, that he would not read my book. You know, originally my with um, the testing I did, I did it under the agreement of anonymity. And I didn't even have the word psychic. I didn't know what that meant. I was 22 years old, 21. Um, and of course, you know, man plans, God laughs. They televised without my permission one of the experiments and I had an instant following, which I had no idea what to do with. I, you know, I didn't even, I wasn't familiar with this ability really. And also at 2021, 22, you really think the whole world sees exactly the way you do. So the awareness that I was a freak in ways I wasn't aware of, because of course, every team thinks they're a freak, uh, was was an aha. But my my family in general, um, uh, I, I really encouraged them not to read my books. And of course, I dedicated them to many people in my family. But I said, you know, this will just give you agita, better not to read it. So they would come to the book parties and press would ask them questions and they would look baffled to some degree. They knew I was a successful writer and I did something strange and 
you know, didn't want to know more. Now being a parent as an adult, I completely relate to that. My son does a lot of things, very proud of him, don't want to know more. (laughs) Well, how did you come to the point where you were being tested at all? How did they find you? They didn't find me. I actually found them synchronicity. Um, I um, was watching, I went to a math and science school. I'm a math and science nerd. And I went to a school called Stuyvesant for high school and which are exclusively math and science nerds. So I was living in nerddom and um, I had just graduated from high school. And I saw, I used to watch these little channels um, that that were nerd channels, you know, research on this and research on that and um, things most people don't watch. And on one of them was a, a show, uh, you know, and once again, these are professors talking. It's not a show like you think of now about research being done on extrasensory perception. And I looked at it and I thought, these guys are idiots. I mean, doesn't everybody do this? And so I called them up in that cocky way of a kid and said, I can do what you're talking about. So they said, come in. And I did. And they went into this lengthy information, you know, intuitions, you know, it's this and that they didn't call it intuition, but it's this and that and this. And I'm like, just put a name in an envelope and don't tell me what name it is. And that was because, and it's funny, I'd never done that before, but it popped into my awareness and, and I gave a very accurate reading. And um, the person who was interviewing me was a medical doctor. And I gave a very, very accurate physical reading and also very accurate reading about the person's life, which is a story that's in Practical Intuition, my first book. And so that's really how it started. And I think in life, the great thing about intuition for many of us, and I think everyone listening can relate to this, is those times where you didn't know why you did something, but it wasn't emotion driven. So it wasn't reactivity, but you didn't know why you walked into the store or why you changed seats on a train and then met the love of your life. It's that wonderful way that when we're at sixes and sevens, intuition really does as a survival skill, guide us to our next wonderful thing. Beautifully said. See, I love this because so many people, both hemispheres light up. They have that linear, that practical, that grounded, that math science, and they have the intuitive. And I think that's one of the hardest combinations when there's an even balance of that because it tends to cause doubt on the intuitive side. But I had seen an interview that you did a long time ago, and you had mentioned that Everyone can do this. And that's my premise as well. I don't think we're doing anything special or unique. I think as human beings, we all have this capacity to tap into something more, to tap into that collective energy. So what would be some tips for people who may be caught in that linear side of their brain to learn to trust the intuitive side a little bit more? Well, may I backtrack for a minute? I, you know, I, I love being argumentative. I actually think that my experience is over 40 years of teaching that good mathematicians, that very linear, even almost spectrum-y side of our functioning is the intuitive functioning. The creative, emotional, I have a creative emo husband. You know, he's a brilliant screenwriter, brilliant TV writer, and he's got a balance because he's got the male brain and that creative brain. So he's got intuition and creativity, which is a real kick-ass combination. Um, I am not creative. I am intuitive. I am, and I do believe that it is the mathematician in me that sees the points on the matrix and connects them and can see them in the future and connect them. So so I do uh, uh, strongly believe that it is not so much hemispheric. And if you truly good intuitives are actually very successful traders, And they don't make their decisions based on information. They don't have time and they don't have the information because we don't know the future. You may think, wow, soybeans, great. But then there's a tanker spill and there's no, you know, they are able somehow to predict and they're very much linear, often very spectrumy. And the reason things like meditation or exercise or beating a pillow and screaming 
our intuitive exercises is it discharges emotion and allows the detachment. I do think a one of the most important things really to start with is not how do we develop the our intuition, but how do we get all everybody else's vomit out of it? Because the reality is we are incredibly porous. So your depression may not be yours. Your rage may not be yours. And by the way, maybe coming from some relationship you haven't been in for seven years, you know, uh, and and it's so important to learn your psychic self-defense first, because mm-hmm. what you'll notice is when you stop being so porous, when you are in this moment instead of in the future or someone else's future, when you cut off the telepathic dialogues that are poisonous to you, say, no, no, I'm not talking to you anymore. And there are techniques to do this. All of a sudden, your intuition for what you need to do right now becomes crystal clear. Really, I think psychic self-defense is the key. And I can give you, I'm going to let you get a word in edgewise. And then please remind me, I want to give your listener something to do whenever they're fragmented, when they wake up in the morning, when in that moment before sleep, where maybe they're going in the wrong direction uh, in terms of where they're going to be non-locally in their sleep state, I want to give them an exercise, but I'm going to let you get a word in edgewise first. Well, that would be a good hook if this were a TV show, but we're not. So I want the exercise now. (laughs) Okay. So right now, I want you to take a moment and notice that, first of all, the conversations in your head, that's called telepathy. Who are you conversing with? Is this a conversation that serves you? And by the way, they may be conversing with you. You always, people always think they're originating the dialogue, but often they're not. So in this telepathic dialogue, if it's, and you're having lots of them, so just notice maybe your top two. If they're not useful, pick a dialogue you want dialogue with your next lover, a a dialogue with your husband to really deepen the connection between you, Uh, a dialogue with your cat. You know, what is a dialogue you want? And now every time you have that dialogue, every time you notice it, and it may be thousands of times a day, no exaggeration, pick a positive dialogue to switch to. It will take about two weeks. That's how long it takes for a little groove in your brain to be formed that creates a new habit from ritual. But but continue to do it. And you'll notice that all of a sudden, and my students love this word, you're manifesting connections with what you want. You're making things happen because you are, instead of wasting that telepathy, you're connecting. Uh, the next exercise is mindfulness. Take a moment, shake out, uh, you know, scream, do something that you feel your own energy. And for a millisecond, maybe you'll be the only one in you. Mediumship is not talking to dead people, can be, but mediumship is being something or someone else. Other people are inside of you all of the time. There are two things you need to do. One, Get to know, really become familiar with what it feels like to be you. Mindfulness, exercise, conversation, asking other people to describe you to you. You know, really get to know you. But the other thing is when you have an experience that is disturbing, sometimes it's you. Sometimes it's your subconscious saying, yo, pay attention to this. But a lot of times it's someone else in you. So let's say all of a sudden, for no reason, you're having a nice day and you feel angry or depressed. First question should be not why, but who is this? And you'll see intuition will give you an immediate sense. And then you need to do some mindfulness technique that works for you. For some people, it's meditation. That doesn't work for me with ADD. What works for me is a workout, you know, even if it's five girly push-ups. You know, at 64, five girly push-ups wears me out. So, you know, something that gets me physically kind of squeezes the pus out and allows me to fill myself back in. Also, so that's that's another thing. So, and then, and tell me if I should shush, but because uh, I, I really think these things are important and I hope you all listening are doing them while I'm thinking of them. Next thing, 
remote viewing and astral projection. You think you're where you are right now, you aren't. If you really bring awareness to your experience, you're in the future, you're in, a, you're in the apartment that you just walked out of, you're in some place in your past, you're in someone else's placement. Being where you are and the way to engage it is all five of your senses. Where are you right now? How can you more fully experience it? I'm right now, as I'm speaking, rubbing the texture on my couch, tasting the inside of my mouth, looking around that room, taking a breath and smelling the incense I just lit. So I'm really using my physical cues to be in this point in time space, to be in this moment now. So we often lose a lot of energy through unconsciously astral projecting um, and remote viewing. And we really, unless there's something you need to know or experience or facilitate, outside your immediate experience, your your energy should be in you now. Because guess what? Your power is not in the future or the past. Your power is right now. And you want to bring the impact of you being as fully you as you can be into that right now. So really the time zone you want to live in, the future is great, but then what do you need to do in the present to change it or prepare for it? Past is great. How do you need to metabolize it differently to empower you now? But now is your moment. And nobody likes the now because unlike the past and the future, the now requires that you actually do something. You know, fear is a drug. Grief is a drug. You know, we are these wonderful pharmacies. And one of my favorite books is Candace Pert's Molecules of Emotion. We tend to recreate that that chemical structure that we know. Well, those of us who've had abusive histories or trauma, you really want to unlearn that. And psychic self-defense are powerful techniques. You know, everyone's super big now on looking for what their trauma was. Reframe that. What do you want right now? Believe me, your trauma will interfere with it and you'll find the tools to deal with it. But you don't need to look for it. You need to do a good job today. Don't plan for it. In this moment, listening to this episode, what? how can you apply it to doing a better job in this moment with your life? So that psychic clean out, so to speak, is a very important thing. Who am I talking to? Who's in me and where am I? Very that's, important, those three questions. That's fascinating. And I've never looked at remote viewing that way. I, I love that. Okay, you you touched on trauma. And I, I know in Practical Intuition, I want to talk about your other books, but in Practical Intuition, you say that being psychic was second nature to you because of some difficulties you had as in your childhood. And that's something Denise and I have talked about on this show a lot, that many, many intuitives seem to have come from you know, experiences in their upbringing where they kind of had to be extra tuned in. And so I'd love for you to touch upon that. To me, it demonstrates that, yes, this is innate in all of us. And some of for some of us, it's just awakened almost as like a survival mechanism. Yes. I mean, I, my, my new book um, that's coming out this spring is about the formation of the ego and how we use our structure as human beings to create in the world and how we can make choices about that. But people who develop as intuitives early develop that way because of trauma, because actually children aren't supposed to be able to travel to a war zone or their parents' bedroom. Children are not supposed to be able to know what someone else is thinking or feeling. Children are supposed to be dealing dealing with developing the structure of their ego, their I, I love, I want, I am, I believe, I feel, I hunger, I hate, you know, that, that I. So anyone who is incredibly intuitive as a child is so because they had no choice. It is not ideal. And most people who have to develop that way don't fare very well. I'm, I was very lucky. I was, I was born with a unique brain, but also a resilient one. And that's genetics. I can claim nothing good for that. You know, uh, that was just the luck of the draw. Um, and I had a lot of very good psychiatry very early in life. 
I have two siblings who have suicided, a mother who has suicided. Um, that is not as adaptive a brain. They had the therapy, they had, we had lots of other wonderful things, but they also had the trauma. They had the intuition, but they didn't have the resilience. And I actually think resilience is something that we should be teaching our children from the moment they're born, being able to support them, but not interfere with their resilience, teaching them to find tools and friends in the world, you know, other other teachers. Um, and, and little kids can learn that early. So yes, it is a survival skill we all have. Ideally, it doesn't really develop until you've developed your ego around age six or seven. And then intuition should only develop in young people in terms of creativity, a great exercise that you parents can do with children without opening their intuition in a negative way, in a way that will flood them, is to when they come make a practice of when they come home from school, having them draw a picture. And for little kids who can't draw yet, it can be finger paints and then have them tell you about their picture. You know, remember, children will, anything you show interest in that they do, they will expose everything to you and write down their story as they tell it to you. So, so they really have a sense of it existing outside of them because often those stories are difficult, you know, having to feed a monster something so it doesn't hurt you, for example, was a favorite of my son's. Um, and, and you can then enter into a dialogue with what they intuitively know, but using creativity as an outlet. Um, you know, one of the things that I think we, we do is teach empathy before we teach survival. And I think that's a little ass backwards because don't share until you know it's yours. Oh, that is so, so good. There was a study done on POWs, and I remember the author wrote, it wasn't the optimist who survived, it wasn't the pessimist who survived, it was the realist who had that resilient brain. So I think that is really, really important. And I was just processing what, what you had said, Laura, about little kids, and my background is working with um, neurodivergent populations, and um, it's it's been interesting to watch the progression in the age groups and it just i love um you know all that kind of stuff so it was interesting well you know i would love to teach for example and and i do have some teachers but i would love to teach um teachers who that's a very hard population to work with also because they don't group the classrooms according to how the brains work. So you'll get someone who's extremely hyper with someone who's extremely sensory sensitive. So it's, it's, it's a, not a great pot, but one of the things that's wonderful is telepathy with that population, being able to anchor and walk in as the anchor. Um, and, you know, it's it, it's too bad that parents aren't more involved in those classrooms in a positive way. You know, it's the structure of our educational system mm -hmm. because everybody, everybody is overwhelmed. And yet there there are intuitive solutions that can be unbelievably uh, helpful. My son's uh, grade school once uh, some parents had to go out of town and they had two very severely uh, ADHD children. And they said, will you take them for the week? And I did. And it was, you know, it wasn't, we did it all telepathically. It yeah. was really, it, it was a wonderful anchor and taking anything that had motion out of their room at night. <laughs> One of the things you you speak about a lot is the importance of taking inventory of your circle and how much of an impact that can be on the people we surround ourselves with, the people that we interact with. Could you talk about that a little bit and how that imp can impact your own? Because as you said, our, our audience is empathic people, sensitive people. And you mentioned it earlier about sucking everything up like a sponge. We're very porous. What would be some ways that we could, for as a general, I think everyone needs to work on this, not just empathic people, to preserve your own happiness, your own success with the people that you choose to associate with or share time with? 
Well, you know, a, um, a psychiatrist once gave me a great rule that I use, although I should practice it more because I am a sponge and I'm not a good, my students always say, well, can you teach us about grounding? And I'm like, yeah, I will have a psychotherapist come on and do just that because I have very little to teach you. Um, but the the rule was no new damage to ask yourself in any situation, no matter how wonderful, how exciting, how even loving this feels, what's the potential here for new damage? Now, we all have situations that we that are damaging that we can't withdraw from, like some of us have toxic bosses, and we need to learn to work with that until we create a new situation for ourselves. But how can we not trigger difficulties? How, you know, I, I had a, um, a a friend who I really loved. Actually, this has happened a couple of times. I really loved them. And so much of them was great and important to me. But I realized that every time I spoke to one of them, I felt badly about myself. The other one, somehow things would start nice. And then it would be some crisis that I had to financially save or give over a class to her once that I had structured, uh, even though it was my group. I mean, and I realized these were not safe relationships for me. For somebody with better boundaries, yes, but not for me. Uh, many of us who are teachers notice, you know, there's some students who take what you have to offer and it's wonderful. And somewhere you become projection screens. Those are not, I don't have good, uh, my boundaries aren't solid enough that those are good students for me. And I find them, and it's not their fault. I find them teachers who have better boundaries. So it's really important to look not just at people. What are you, alcohol, for example, I love to drink. I got to be honest here. But it's, it doesn't make me feel good the next day. Now, I'm not a purist. I don't never drink, but I really took a glass of wine with my meal out of my diet. It's new damage. There are certain things, you know, I think that all of us get offered professional opportunities that we wish we could do. We wish we were structured, that we could do a TV show and not get overwhelmed or do a column and have it not affect our daily life. I'm not that person. It's so important to say where, where is, despite opportunity, where is the new damage here? And in order to do that, part of what you need to do is take an inventory. What helps you function? For me, it's sleep. It's touch, whether making time where my husband holds me or getting a massage when he's working somewhere. Um, it's food. It's remembering to eat. It's fat in my diet, really helpful for my brain. So really get to know what helps and don't close your eyes when you're doing the things that don't. Who helps? Who's a support? And it's funny, we, we, we have these societal ideas about what's a contribution, like money's a big one. People support in different ways and they need in different ways. Your relationships should be reciprocal. If you are always the one who's in crisis and in need, that relationship has an imbalance of power. You're giving your power away. And actually, it may be the relationship that's doing it. So really, really look what helps me function, what interferes with my functioning, because my job as a mammal is actually to survive and be functional. And, um, you know, are you spending money you don't have? That's not a functional behavior. And by the way, whether you buy a book, whether you get a therapist, or whether you just avail yourself of the gazillion free groups that are around both online and in person, you know, you, frankly, you don't have to be an alcoholic to go to AA, you can just go and be, you know, um, I know that's kind of against the rules, but go to a music group, you know, go to a free event and say hello, even if the first five people look at you like, who are you? The sixth maybe says, hi, you know, feed yourself. Where are you hungry? If loneliness is endemic, but why? There's so many lonely people. Get together with them. You know, there is no excuse. We find excuses to protect our tender underbelly, but actually being embarrassed really isn't a big deal. Being a little shame, 
not such a big deal. Having mud on your face is just a sign that you're trying something new. So, so that's the long, that's the long answer to it. The short answer is no new damage. Does this, I'm sitting in a position right now that's not good for my back. I'm going to shift it. I'm causing a little new damage in that lower back, you know, really looking, is this new damage? And also creating a community for your purpose. What is your purpose? You know, and asking yourself that because your purpose will change. You know, my purpose raising a child was different now that my per that I have a 31-year-old. And it takes a while to transition from purpose to purpose. But what is your purpose? And how and how do you find your people? You know, there is a community for absolutely everything out there. And one of the things I love about training intuitives is that. You realize when you do a reading for a perfect stranger and you get details that are verifiable that you couldn't have possibly known, especially when you do it on Zoom, you realize we are connected. Your sadness is felt by everybody. So is your joy. And so your connection starts with good housekeeping. That place where you feel okay, and by the way, okay may not be joy, may not be unicorns. Okay, maybe you're fully feeling your rage and feeling alive with it. Uh, okay is different, but to find that little sliver, even if you're having a rough time, where you're okay and then connecting outward from it is one of the most powerful things you can do, whether you're doing it physically in a group, going outward and finding it, or whether you're doing it just sitting alone in your house and connecting. Wow, that is that is beautiful. And it's so helpful because something I always struggle with when I'm faced with something that scares me is, okay, is am I supposed to say no to this or is this a challenge I'm supposed to say yes to to grow? And so the way you have framed that, I think it's going to be really helpful to me and hopefully a lot of our listeners too. And I wonder so much of what you're saying is really about getting to know yourself, you know, the unadulterated, true, authentic version of you in the Which circle. Every 10 minutes, by the way. I you mean, can... you are changing every second. So oh, the true, authentic version of me last Tuesday is different than the true authentic version of me today. And we are allowed, you are allowed to change. In fact, you're made to change. And even your integrity may change. There are places that you absolutely may for your entire life not want to cheat and places where you just kind of have to, to survive. You know, the, being a purist is deadly because we can't be. And I have been many people who I would not want to meet in a dark alley. I saw this wonderful little video with this man who'd been married forever. He was in his 80s, got married right out of high school. And they asked him what was the secret to his successful marriage with his wife. And he said, well, I've been married to the same woman for 60 plus years, but she's been eight different people in those years. And I've learned to fall in love with each new version of her. And oh, I just love, I love that. that. And we have to do that with ourselves. You know, I hate the whole love yourself thing, because there are things about all of us that are definitely unlovable that we need to work on. And accepting that that's part of being human is really important and actually allows you to have more authentic relationships with other people, but also you know, with the world. I mean, uh, before we were speaking about Deepak Chopra, and I remember when I was just starting to speak publicly, and Deepak is so generous, and he invited me with Wayne Dyer to to go on this trip and to speak. And I looked at him and I thought, well, I'm a terrible speaker because Deepak, when he stands in front of a room, that energy, it holds the room. And I'm more like a little gerbil, you know, I'm always off on, and, and I realized, and so I was trying to be more like him, which I did a lousy job of. Um, and then I learned to be like me, to take off on everybody on the, in the audience and, and have, you know, the, the, be a firefly. And when I accepted that, no, I was not good at this, and I'm still practicing being more like him as a speaker, but I am good at this, it allowed it. You know, when you can say, wow, 
I was a real shit back there. You know, I do not want to repeat that behavior. I made a mistake here. And when you actually make the effort to apologize, because I think a lot of people think you're acknowledging in yourself you did wrong is enough. It's not. It is really important to, I am sorry, I am genuinely sorry, and how might I make amends when possible is a really important part of that circle of behavior. And being able to accept somebody else's apology is also part of that. I love the tradition in Judaism there is a holiday where you ask forgiveness and God can forgive sins against God, but only man can forgive sins against man. But if you ask for forgiveness three times and the person denies it, the sin becomes theirs. And I, I just, that form I love so much because we are not answerable to perfection. We're answer, answerable to our own awareness and we can make so much of that better. And owning witness is also a very underrated thing. To I'm not saying you have to open your vulnerabilities to the entire world, but to say to one other person, I did this. I'm sorry. And they may not forgive you, but the, the witness is so important. Or I did this wonderful thing and I sure would like someone to applaud. That's also okay. You know, we should be applauding each other. And that is the circle. Every morning on a live, we get together as a circle and we do that. We applaud each other's successes. We do some smackdowns when people are in their fantasy and intuitively we know it. You know, we call people on their stuff and Sometimes we're right, sometimes we're wrong, and then we get smacked down back. But there is that wonderful dynamic interaction, and that really is what life is about. That is perfect, because when you are in the moment, when you are present, and you have that accountability for yourself, it allows you to attract in the people who are going to resonate with your frequency. So if you're trying to emulate someone else, or you think you're supposed to drink that Kool-Aid and not this Kool-Aid so that you'll fit in with a group of people, you're never going to find your circle. You that is to... absolutely true. Right. You and, and that's the vulnerability, the transparency, the fear, especially if that hasn't been a safe place to, for you to go in the past. I think that that's something we're all trying to work towards right now in the shift in consciousness that's happening on a global level is a part of that of we're realizing we have to align with that inner spark that makes us unique as a mammal on the planet. We, we There's all of us here together, but we each have that little tweak that makes us just a little bit different. And personally, I think when you align with that tweak, it just brings this richness into your life that the blunt version is you just don't give a shit anymore. You really don't. And you're like, I'm going to live this life I came here to live. But, you know, the wonderful thing about wanting to be like someone else is like what I really envy in Deepak is his groundedness, is his equanimity. I mean, he he mm -hmm. doesn't get triggered like like I like it's and that, you know, saying, OK, I am me and I'm going to embrace that and live my life as myself. But that kapha in him, I am also going to try to learn some of that so that I can be a better version of, of me. Um, and, and, you know, we are all each other's teachers. I love teaching because I have learned so much from my students. I often start workshops by saying, I know you all want to be like me right now, but newsflash, I want to be like you. I want to be able to taste my food, feel my husband's arm around me, be present in my body. I want to be more like you. And there is that exchange. And you were speaking before about one circle. You want people, not just who are like you, but who you can learn from. Yeah, that's so true. You, you also write in the circle that we have to focus on one single wish at a time. And I'm wondering if that's about, again, getting to know yourself or if there's something more to that. Why do you focus your your readers on that one aspect? Because when, you know, most of us during even an hour, we have 
30 things that are distracting us. So we put a little energy here and a little there and a little there. And often we don't accomplish very much at all. When you choose one goal, one wish, you are a laser. Not only is all of your energy and awareness, intuition, intellect, and resources focused on that goal, but all of the distractions are contextualized within that goal. So my goal right now is having a certain kind of family. My work is contextualized there. My health is contextualized there. Um, I have an elderly father whose life I want to you know, improve. But it's all that, it's not that I don't care about the 30 other things that come up every hour, but that one goal gives them context. And the practice of contextualizing everything through that goal like a laser is actually something that allows all of those other goals to be accomplished as well. We're really just batted around by our attention. Um, and, and ADD is so good for that because it teaches you that you know you you need a structure or you or you get you're lost or you're just you know like a piece of fuzz being blown around. So the circle asks you to choose what is your context and you can't make a mistake because actually it's not what you choose it's how you contextualize your life. It is the architecture of being. Wow. That is so important to think about. You're right. There are distractions everywhere all the time. I mean, my cat just distracted us and here she is again. So I really appreciate you pointing that out. You use your intuition in so many fascinating ways. Not only do you teach and write and work with clients, but you also do a lot with finances and courtroom and medical intuition. Can you just touch upon that? So listeners have an idea of the the many opportunities they have if they embrace their intuition? So intuition, I always say intuition is an idiot's gift. Two-year-olds are intuitive. They're not logical. They're not emotionally regulated. They're intuitive. And we want to shut that stuff down until they have a nice ego structure to, to run that intuition through. Um, there is no such thing. You know, People often call me a business intuitive because I work with large corporations. No such thing. No such thing as a medical intuitive. No such thing as a emo intuitive. You know, there's intuition is you have a target, you get information. If that target is a body, you get inf medical information. If that target is a business, you get business information. If that target is where are my keys, you get that. If you if the target's a relationship, you get that. So really for, for intuition, what you need is to know your questions or your goals. Because that, once you do, you have your filing system, you have your folder that the information can go into. I think that a lot of the spe you know, specific kinds of intuitives or a medium, you know, if, first of all, you don't see what you don't believe in, unless you're extremely tired and you have no frontal lobe control, you don't see what you don't believe in. If you didn't know a door could open, you would walk right by every door. It would be decorative. So being flexible in beliefs, you know, consciously making the effort to be flexible in your beliefs, not batted around again, but you know, have enough adaptive openness allows you to entertain different things. We were talking before about my friend, Paul Selig. I, the whole guide thing is not my shtick. However, his guides come through me. The whole find your keys thing, not his shtick. However, he can find my keys. So intuition is what it really is targeted where you target it. And, and, you know, Paul is such a wise being and he uses his intuition to give this wisdom. I'm more about the structure, the details, and that's how I choose to use my intuition. But you can apply your intuition to everything. Really, I think as a society and as human beings, you want to apply it ethically. So I do medical readings for doctors, for their patients. Um, I do financial prediction for fund managers, and then they can choose whether or not to use that for their clients. Why? Because I could make a mistake. 
I am not a doctor. I have not gone through medical school. I, you cannot sue me for anything. If, if I make a misdiagnosis, you are unprotected. I'm also haven't been schooled in financial markets. I'm an intuitive. So really you want to make sure in anything you do, even in how you talk to somebody on a train, it, is this in integrity? You know, whatever your integrity is, listen, a sociopath's integrity is going to be different than yours, but is this within your integrity? And I think that, you know, when I train students, I, I give them also clients when they're, when they're up to the level of, of, of taking clients. It's not just how good they are and how accurate they are as intuitives in whatever metaphor they want to express their intuition in, but it's, are they ethical? do they take the payment of a client as total payment or do they have another hook? Are they looking to date a client? Are they looking to be so necessary that a client gets overly attacked? You know, what I really look for ethical behavior. And even if someone's a superb psychic, they're not going to do good in the world if their behavior isn't ethical. And I think that that's true of us as human beings. And once again, we have all done things. I have done things that I really am, you know, ashamed of and have sworn never to do again. I mean, a lot of it is we're not indicted by our mistakes, but we are obligated to grow from them. Mm. We're here to experience life we're, and we're going to make choices and there is free will and all of those wonderful things. What it feels like you're saying is the more comfortable you get with who you are and how you navigate this and how you choose to put that focus out there. So for one of my sons who is very math science, he uses his, what I call his intuitive ability to find solutions, to make things work better To And he is kick-ass at picking the right stock and the right fund. He just, it's a natural thing for him. Whereas my other son is more creative and more in the other, that other realm and uses his intuition in a different way, but you're spot on. It's where they put their focus and neither one is better or worse or stronger. It's just they've aligned with who they are as human beings. And of course, you know, I think it's not just what life demands of us, but it's very important. And it's one thing that I really focus on with my students. We are creating life. Yes, yes we're not given every tool, your toolbox, maybe missing a wrench, maybe missing nails. They may be things that you need to find or barter or, you know, figure out but you are creating your life. If you've been victimized over and over, since you cannot change the victimizer, what can you change in yourself? I used to tell my son, if you pretend it's all your fault, then you have the solution. And I, I think that we often are most angry at how we victimize ourselves, how we've let ourselves down but we don't know everything. You know, you really need to forgive yourself for walking into the wrong room or falling in love with the wrong person or, you know, buying the wrong piece of property or, you know, it, this, this moment is the moment that counts. And again, you will process all of the decisions, all of the trauma, you'll process it as you move forward to live this moment successfully. And success, you know, people equate success and happiness. Some of my most successful moments have been my most miserable ones. Um, success is, is effective living. And sometimes that is hard. The more that you uh, see the process as a lesson plan that takes you where it is you choose to go, the more endurable it becomes. But it, you know, with things, we're far too complex and life is far too complex for it to be easy, you know. And I think that when we do want to look for ease, to structure ease, you know, how do I make this difficult thing? have more flow, but going for ease is not always the way. And sometimes, you know, we judge people by a lot of outward things. You know, I've been broke and I've been unbelievably wealthy. Um, I've been ill and I've been incredibly healthy. 
I've been really, really shamefully ignorant and I've been incredibly wise and we make choices about these things. But we, when you disown a part of yourself, when you say, oh no, I'm going to distance, that's not, that's not who I am. You also disown the learning. And so you repeat that you want to embrace the learning and, and learning to ask for help is such an important thing. You know, that took me really to my 60s, to my late 50s to learn, to say, wow, I need help. I need you to, you know, even my Instagram followers, you know, I need you to repost this. I didn't realize my husband was actually capable in the kitchen. I mean, he's vaguely capable, but he can make a cheese board. You know, I'm tired. We, I used to do everything. Now I cook, he cleans. You know, I fold, he makes the bed, but it took so long to be able to say, okay, I'm not an island. Where do I need help? And how do I say, gee, I'm not the whole package. I actually need help. Well, you've been incredibly wise with this hour together. I'll tell you that much. I could listen to you forever. Tell people about some of the events you have coming up and about the book that you have coming out. Um. Well, the book I have coming out is really about how we can use energy, because spirit is just energy, how we can use it to create in our lives, and how we can heal the parts of our structure that, that haven't in the past allowed us to create what we want. That will be coming out, I think, in the spring. You never quite know. I have a boot camp, which is a certificate training in intuition coming up in October. And I do that only online because it's distracting when you're teaching intuition to have people physically present, because of course, physical presence is so pleasurable. Um, I'm doing a workshop in London in November, uh, and it's all available on lauraday.com. Uh, all of my, and, and if you sign up for the newsletter, new events happen. Also, um, most mornings, in my pajamas, with my coffee clutched in my hand, I go on live. And I started this during COVID. I was in London and people were panicking all over the world. And I thought, you know what? I'm just going to come on in my pajamas every morning and get people together and see who needs help and who can help each other. And, you know, just if the sky is falling, it's going to fall on us together. And so I've continued that. So in the mornings, often no exact time. It's whenever I brush my teeth, uh, I go on live and we exchange readings and we uh, exchange uh, healing and we work together. And there's often a topic, whatever I woke up obsessing about. So those are my, and I've written six books and each book is a workshop because I don't like to speak about intuition. I like people to experience it. Everyone experiences it differently and they apply it differently. And of course, then they add to the craft itself. Well, we'll post all of that in the show notes and on our social media pages. And I'll also make a post with all of your books. I think I've read Practical Intuition three or four times and I've read The Circle just as many times, uh, read all your books. It's just really an honor to have you on the show. And I hope you come back on in the spring when your book comes out. Thank you. I would love that. I have really enjoyed this and thank you. Yes. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. And thank you everyone for listening. Please remember as always to show up, do great work and share your light. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants. They all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.